0: full of hope i've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope aspen's gold on snowcat takes the elk call me away i can't keep my mind on working on this fine
1: september day i've got nimrod long longbows
0: on welcome rain. back to the track Plus podcast here,
1: what's going on Bob? Oh, same old same old kid trying to get uh this content put together and time for us to run around like Indians in the woods.
0: Yeah, for sure. We got a couple of them. Well, this one will probably, we're
2: going to set this one up to release probably right before season. So.
1: Yep. Yep. Uh, this is a back to back episodes with uh, local Roosevelt elk hunters. We've got Chris Tipton on the line on this one. Uh, Chris was on episode two talking about a once in a lifetime bighorn sheep hunt. Uh, Chris is a good friend of mine and, uh, an accomplished traditional bow hunter. This guy spends more time in the woods than pretty much anyone I know. He's nonstop after Black and Roosevelt, picking up sheds, checking trail cameras, studying them. I mean, this guy's got it bad. Yeah um got it real bad
2: and i believe and he is he is taking some just monster blacktails and roosevelts i believe he has the biggest roosevelt with the trad bow in oregon right
1: yeah and and uh, blacktail i think um well not blacktail um no, not blacktail
2: George
1: but sure uh, how's that yeah back in the day <laughs> yeah but no, he, he consistently has been putting down really nice blacktail bucks, and we're going to bring him on in October to talk about that. And uh, Roosevelt elk, yeah, he's killed a couple. I mean, that 300-inch marks on the coast is hard to obtain, and he's done it a few times. And he's uh, always getting on bulls like that, and he really has a, an a outstanding work ethic and really puts in the work to uh, get on these coastal brush animals. Yeah, that's not easy to do. It's definitely not easy to do. So, um, and you'll kind of notice that, uh, his techniques and tactics, uh, differ from, um, dance, you know, he, he's a little more of a, a glasser and, uh, a sneaker and, you know, a little more of a ninja per se. Um, which is cool, you know, hearing two different guys' perspectives, but, uh, both uh, get it done and uh, are awesome at hunting one of the hardest animals to uh, chase. So, yeah, I think you guys will enjoy this one. Uh, Chris Tipton on Roosevelt Elk Hunting.
0: When you can take uh, our interests, such as elk hunting, and turn it into something that is, we want to be strategical. We want to be methodical. We, We want to be uh for lack of a better word sensitive to the environment we're walking into and when we walk into that particular canyons we already know what the predominant wind direction is we already have a pretty good idea of you know the elk density or what particular animal we're looking for in here either we got you know some satellite bulls that are hanging out in here or we know that this is like this is where the main herd with the you know, that main herd bull that we're we wanting to target. And, you know, he's he's not your, you know, typical management bull at you know, three and a half or four and a half here in our our Western Oregon units, but you know, this is a bull that's been around the block. He's five, he's six, seven years old. And he's gonna he's gonna test you at your skill level. Every day, twice on Sunday exactly and um it's this type of in-depth type of self-talk and questioning you know i just got done sharing with you that i'm asking better questions and you know you 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 get into reading any resources out there on you know what it takes to be a great leader and the the quality of your leadership, the quality of your life is in direct proportion to the quality of questions you ask yourself. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, the better I get at, well, the areas in my life that I excel at, you know, hunting and nutrition and training is because I just have worked really, really hard and humbled myself to, you know, look at better more qualified people and what kind of questions are they asking and uh, why would they ask that question and that completely changed my blacktail hunting world upside down to being you know 20 days out in the field and a handful of bucks on one hand to now it's like a handful of bucks every single week and i'm actually in the woods hunting and just substantial. My journal is entirely different. My notes are entirely different than what they were, you know, 20 years ago, you know, in the prime of my shave, hunting for a month. and Oh, I
2: mean, just. You've really turned things on a lot in the last five years. Um, I mean, not that you weren't going full bore five
0: years ago, because <laughs> you were. Well, but. it's just taking all that information yeah. and consolidating it and refining it. And uh putting it into a package and now and and my association has changed uh, considerably in the last five years you know um seven years you know meeting guys like matt and Bob and Dan and all these guys that are you know really good outdoorsmen and uh um and my finance of. Uh, Have substantially changed too and I could get better gear more gear and um, I've also been able to to be home too here in the last few years and that's sheesh Uh, I mean it's I just have so much fun now Uh, planning my day the whole year is planned and I go from one phase to the other you know so August, September that's my elk phase and then uh october on throughout the rest of the year until shed season is you know gonna be blacktails yeah breathing living blacktails um yeah well
2: let's let's stick to uh let's stick to the jungle bulls and and we'll get into blacktails on another podcast uh ladies and gentlemen uh, if you guys don't recognize this voice um go all the way back rewind to episode two. And Chris uh, shares a once-in-a-lifetime bighorn sheep hunt in Oregon. It's a great, great episode. And um happy happy uh, here a little over 100 episodes later to be bringing Chris back on. Um, yeah, Chris Tipton, a good friend of mine. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us how we met? I think that's a great story to share. And uh, a little bit about you know yourself
0: and how you got into bow hunting well <clears throat> you had uh come to the roseburg sports show we had and you uh saw me there scoring some racks and i just love the, the socialization of then the camaraderie of the hunting community and getting to volunteer and getting to meet a lot of new faces shake a lot of hands of so just some awesome people in the area and i had been uh, recently uh, really blessed to taking a really really good roosevelt bull and, um, uh, we, you and uh, you had actually approached me and got to having a little small talk there at the sports show. And, you know, I could see you were pretty excited and enthusiastic about it. And so, uh, we just, uh, really, uh, developed, uh, a bond. And, yeah uh, i was a rifle hunter at the time looking to get into bow hunting yeah you were definitely looking at it and, and you were obviously you know with the modern archery technology out there that was you know you really didn't know anything else differently and and then i'm uh sharing with you how i'm pursuing uh this bow hunting with uh traditional archery uh very uh, uh limited and uh uh, self-imposed restrictions, and uh, you uh, were actually believe it or not, that show
2: was the first show that I seen a compound. I didn't even know that. Like when I was thinking about getting into archery, I was thinking of a recurve bow because I'd shot one as a kid, and that's what I thought bow wow. hunting was. I, had, oh. I, I hadn't been exposed to the TV yet, the mag. I just, I just came from a casual rifle hunter to wanting to, I ran into a big bull and I started wanting to learn like, how, wow, he mesmerized me. And my stepdad had said, bow hunting, you know, that's how you're going get, to um, get that bull. And so I'd actually seen my first compound bow at that show. I was like, this is, this is a bow. Okay. And I remember we, had would met you and you'd showed me a picture and I was like that that, you know, and I'd picked up a uh, traditional bowhunter magazine I'd, and a bowhunter magazine. That's when I was starting to learn the difference. So mm-hmm. I came to it as expecting traditional, but I obviously, I went with modern equipment for a few years. I mean, it was what everybody else was doing. When I went to the archery shop, it's what they set me up with. Sure. Um, but I still was looking at those magazines and looking at that big giant Roosevelt you killed with you out there with that recurve and that, that image was, was burned in my head yeah. and i would and, I, and uh, you told me about black tail bows and i went onto their website and there was that image
0: yeah and I, it's a heck of a shot i mean and when you think of field photos and then yeah the fact you know there's just this no-name guy behind it not some high profile celebrity and a real simple crude Stick
2: and string, yeah, and a and, general, and, and we stayed in contact. And, and yeah. I was learning just like a sponge, I was learning, uh, from you. And you took me out, uh, shed horn hunting, I think, once. And it was, you know, you kind of yeah. kept me at, at bay, kept me at distance, but you were, uh, definitely supportive. And you introduced me to, uh, Norm. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, within a few years, I was like, hey, I think I, I want to try. Shooting uh, a real bow and arrow.
0: Yeah, wow, what a great time. I was just thinking about, you know, the era. See, I shot that bull in 2009. Yeah, I got into bow hunting in 2010. That was really at the end of our golden era of really having high quality uh, game density, you know, for uh, particularly for the Roosevelt elk. Uh, It was shortly after that, that fishing game really started given out the uh, uh excessive uh, amount of elk tags but you know it wasn't uncommon to go out for an evening hunt and and see a black antlered bull to get a bull bugling and when you're having that kind of consistent action uh i mean you've always got a story to tell your buddies anytime you're on the phone with them and that type of excitement and uh adventure going on uh it was just a great time to be alive and then bringing new guys in and uh just t- and, you, and you started bow hunting at twelve years old, right? <clears throat> well, I grew up in a house with my dad that uh, was a very very serious archery hunter and uh, really took what the forefathers had to say about creating a situation where the animal has you know most of the uh, resources on his side to get away from you. Yeah, ample opportunity for escapement, for sure. Yeah, and when you're reading the old books from Dr. Saxon-Pope and Art Young and hearing what Will Compton had to say and then you're reading about you know, what Fred Bear and uh, 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 Leopold wrote about and creating, you know, uh, giving the wildlife the advantage, and uh, you know, it was just so much more pure and innocent. I mean, right now it's just so inundated with the adultery of. Where did fur <laughs> chase go, right? Yeah, it's. Um, Where yeah. is it? <laughs> Where's what? Fair chase. Where'd it go? Yeah. Fair chase. (laughs) That's a new definite. It's a new definition. (laughs) We changed it. They still use it and they love to use that as a plug. Uh, But it's been definitely redefined. And uh, that's what I love about what uh, traditional archers of Oregon. And I mean, I haven't met a traditional archery organization yet that doesn't embody that concept. And, of uh pu- putting it in the animal's favor. And it 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 puts a person like and I you know what, you know, I was a I uh I compound hunted at night. as was my last year, nineteen years old, senior high school. And uh dad had uh either a year or two earlier got his first uh stick bow, uh Jim Brackenberry, recurve. Yeah, Oregon legend, yeah. Yeah, guy was a stud and uh and a character and just i love the old the old time stories from the old timers and and i go you know what um i'm gonna kill a lot of animals in my life i just i want them to have meaning i don't need to kill five bulls a year to prove to but if i can take one a year or one every three years with traditional archery yeah high value That's a, yeah, excellent, well said. A high value personal. Um, I mean, we're seeing guys, you know, now on social media that are killing, I mean, three to five bulls. And obviously, you know, um, I'm more interested in developing or looking at the skill level of an individual. Um, Now, while we know all the sounds that the animals make, when to make them, how to make them. Uh, the gear, the technology. Um, I want to distinguish my hunting abilities in a different way. And uh, I remember at at 20 going, man, I'm not going to get anything for a while. That's quite a mature thing to say to yourself at 20 years old going, you know what, I'm not going to get much, but once I figure this out, watch out and... It's just been a riot. It has been a long, dry spell, uh, particularly for the blacktails. Uh, I think that first Pope and Young blacktail buck probably cost me over 10 grand, but I knew when I took that, it meant more to me. 10 grand in 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, then taking a world record with all the latest technology. Right. Uh, for, for, yeah, no, no question about it. And so, you know, we're talking, uh, our theme here is our Roosevelt elk here on the Oregon coast, and it is, uh, there are no shortcuts. You've got to know it all. Uh, I know for myself, particularly as I've gotten older, my youth has left me, and I've had to con- uh, step up my understanding and knowledge about health and nutrition. How old are you, Tipton? Uh, I recently turned, it's uh, 47 here at the end of july and i am uh, and you look like a lean mean 27 year old to me uh thank you thank you that means a lot uh no doubt to the viewers i assure you it's been uh uh, a a tremendous amount of work and sacrifice and study uh, but the investment's definitely been worth it I'm, i'm i know the best is yet to come for me and uh hopefully uh as precarious as our hunting seasons are turning out to be here in the state of oregon in 2020 i'm i'm hoping that 10 15 years from now uh i can uh look forward to going into some of these uh, rugged canyons or in behind lock gates and enjoy seeing some some big old black antler bulls yeah and i also like to touch on
2: the listeners are always in, you know this is a um traditional bow hunting podcasts. And, you know, we, we pull on some of the, the big names sometimes, but mostly we really dislike, uh, the blue collar bow hunters, you know? And so we do like to highlight, um, that. And so maybe tell the listeners a little bit about, um, you know, what you do for a living.
0: Ah, yeah. Well I've been real fortunate to be a journeyman electrician for the last 20 years. And, uh, uh, with COVID, Uh, erupting here in the last few months. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, switch careers and uh, recently been promoted to lead timber cruiser here locally, and uh, that has been uh, just a wonderful uh, experience of uh, getting to spend time in the mountains, get paid to do it, and learn a new skill, a new trade, and it's forced me to, uh, well, first of all, it's definitely... Walking up and down mountains uh, five days a week has definitely put me in shape, but uh, uh, I've had a, tell, tell them what that means, being a, a timber cruiser. Well, the timber industry out there, they need to know what they have in there for inventory, for timber on a side of a mountain. So I'm handed a set of maps that uh, show where a particular patch of timber needs to get looked at, and that involves uh, having uh, several plots in that timber patch, and i have uh, specific tools that are designed to measure the girth and the height and i need to identify the species and i'll go through that particular t- standard timber uh, me and my partner and we will collect the data and enter it into our portable computer and uh, submit that to our client and so then they can evaluate you know the age the board footage species uh uh, it's setting up the inventory for harvest. Exactly. They know what they want, what they're looking for, a particular age and dimension, uh, whatever particular board feet they need. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago we had that Snowmageddon storm hit. Uh, you know, they want to know what the disease is, what kind of storm damage they've had out there on that mountain. Right. All that is critical information for them so they can uh, uh, schedule their next. Uh, Timber logging. Well, I imagine uh, it,
2: it didn't take long to move up the ranks there. Chris, is, I'm telling you guys, uh, I'm not trying to uh, make you bashful here, but this guy spends more time in the woods than anyone I know. I mean, he's looking for sheds. There's no shed horn hunting season. It's shed season year-round. If there's a year free round. moment, uh, he's crushing it. And, uh, I mean, I'll go over to Chris's house and he's got piles, and they're—they're—I think they're like you know chalkers or brownies or um, they are he keeps them in different piles, and they have different values. And man, he can grab just a random three-point blacktail shed, and he'd be like, oh, "I was with Pedal. She was working over here, and I man, just I got done eating a shit, sandwich." Dog. And he, he's got a story. Upon an exciting story about finding each and every one of those it's it, I, I love
0: your enthusiasm for it it's awesome yeah well with the timber cruising it's definitely been a lot of fun we just started doing uh, oh a couple of weeks ago going up to Sweet Home and boy that's some you know we're up in the high cascades there in the backside of our client's tree farm and um, um, I really wasn't expecting to find much but boy I've been crushing it on uh, finding the sheds and we've, we we work in teams And so we got our little walkie-talkie radios, and the other guys—they all want to find sheds too. (laughs) It's pretty funny. At uh, um, uh, the uh, my partner found a a good three-point, but I I crushed it. We've been uh, or I have been finding a number of deer antlers. I did find a six-point elk antler, a pretty good one. But interestingly enough, it wasn't a shed. The bull actually was in a fight. Oh, and he was evidently mixing it up with a really big bull because uh the entire uh, pedicle, uh, the bone that comes out of the skull, was broke off at the skull. And so you got a good two and a half inches of bone connected Ooh. to the bottom of the base of that six-point elk antler. Man. And he had broke a couple points already at G3 and as uh, Royal. So, um, you know, it was an odd spot to have found a shed in there for an elk. It's just not... What elk want to be in and then i looked at the bottom of it and went oh my goodness this is one of those uh, unique situations that um, and i always wondered if they could ever break it off now you wonder if that bull could grow an, a normal antler again right so these are just i love the stories like what we're having right here small talk doing this podcast and sharing with the viewers just uh, the enthusiasm and you know it's, it's 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 a skill elk hunting is a skill and it's something you work at and you practice at. And, uh, you know, my friends in Arizona and different, uh, p- places of the country that don't get the enjoyment of getting to pursue bulls every year. Here. Like we yeah. are here, you know, it's pretty evident. You know, my buddies like, you know, they Oregon grows the best elk hunters. Yeah. I've been talking to
2: some guys. Um, I got some friends from, uh, out of state coming to hunt and, um, mostly just setting them up you know like yeah hey man um, these would be a good place to camp these would be good places to hunt you know they're first time elk hunters and I don't really have a lot of time to get out into the woods with them this year I have a lot of plans but uh, I feel good about me setting these guys up you know with an, an adventure and uh, a few of them are really just sucking up everything they can as far as information. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, oh, I just want to get this figured out. And I'm like, oh, you're not going to get this figured no. out. No. <laughs> not and this year, some, uh, not next year, not five years from now. Like, I, I'm starting to have some little epiphanies here 12 years into this. But, yeah, you're not going to get it
0: figured out. You know, out. I, I'm glad you brought that up because that's what my, I really want the viewers to talk about. And you're only going to pretty much talk about this with the veteran hunters. And it's something I've emphasized with you. Yeah, just because I've had the fortune of... Mentoring me, yeah. Yeah, mentoring and doing it so long. And I got to rub shoulders with some real um, wise, uh, savvy old timers that saw the big picture. And this, you know, elk hunting would... Or it don't matter. Say you want to do a mule deer hunt because now we're talking... You know, entire state of Oregon is going to go for controlled archery. It takes time to learn the animals' habits, to learn that geographical features, uh, the topography, uh, the environment, the seasons. And if you got to wait ten, fifteen years to draw that bull tag, that deer tag, that antelope tag, it just makes it so impossible to know. Yeah, uh, and if you're only hunting
2: weekends or something like if you see an animal exhibit a certain behavior and then uh, it's human nature to want them to do that again for you in that spot or whatever and it's like no they did that last week they're they're on to some different food they're on to some different
0: behavior they can be they certainly can be and as a traditional hunter you know it's having that opportunity to go after that animal in that unit year after year Year. or at least every couple years yeah and, um, you know, I'm all for free enterprise and everything. And if you guy wants to use modern archery, great. But that's why that's why I like about what Pope and Young has done. You've got your modern archery record book. And I love the fact that they had the wisdom to start a traditional archery record yeah. book because when you talk to the average young man out there, he doesn't have a clue that we even exist Yeah. and that there is such a thing. And the fact that the, there is this philosophy just reaffirms how completely, entirely different oh yeah the two sports Some are. of the younger guys are like, that, is it lethal? It, is it lethal? <laughs> is it legal? And then they start hanging around, and yeah. they see some of the the pictures yeah. and uh, the stories behind uh, it's, the, it's the hunter. It's not even the story. Yeah, it's the men. It's, it's, it's the hunter.
2: It is. It is. I Every mean,
0: time, right? How do you, I mean, how do you feel when you see a black and white picture of some earlier hunter back in the 50s yeah. or 60s yeah with their moose or their yeah. goat or their mule deer with the pack i get <sighs> such an adrenaline rush yeah have got the old wool pants on and red suspenders well, that
2: goes full circle to like how i got into this and what that story we were telling like it it didn't matter how many bucks and bulls i seen in bow hunter magazine I kept going back to that image of you with that Roosevelt bull because that I related to this, these big black antler beasts I was trying to f- learn yeah. about in the jungle. And then that bow, it just, and I think it's just a certain person that, uh, oh, yeah, that definitely. resonates with, this but, isn't
0: for everybody. Folks. Yeah. If you're listening and you're offended, don't hey, be offended. At, I understand. This isn't for everybody. Yeah. I got some hardcore buddies, some buddies that are hardcore into modern archery and Well, it took them a while to fess up, but they admit, hey, you know what? It is, I I don't want to work that hard at it, Chris. And good, don't do it. This is labor intensive, you know? And uh, and that's why we're fighting for some separate uh, unique seasons to uh, create for for traditional hunters. And so, and that's why uh, I think it really is so applicable here on the West Coast for Oregon because um it's pretty apparent uh not everybody's on the same uh team at wanting to see thriving elk herds out here. And, you know, we saw our elk uh, reach a peak back, you know, in the in the late 90s. 90s. And it's pretty apparent, you know, organizations like Timber Companies and so forth, um and even uh individuals in fish and wildlife um you know, want to see the numbers you know, uh, knock down. Yeah. Uh, to minimize the complaints, uh, maximize timber growth and so forth. Uh, for me as a hunter, you know, there can't be enough elk on the mountain. I want all the elk I can possibly can put on a mountain. You know, I just love them. Even when I'm not hunting, I'm, I'm loving them. Love talking about them. Love, you know, thinking about them. And, um, that's why, you know, I've, was befriended by a gentleman. This guy is going to come out here. He's actually going to hunt Washington, and uh, he's going to go traditional archery. Uh, It's a general season hunt. They have a very uh, early hunt. It's a short season, and um, fortunately, this guy already has all the right proper attributes. First of all, he's got an awesome attitude, tremendous work ethic. He is a serious nutritionist, uh, uh, triathlete, and... Uh, you know, with this military background, of uh, he's got a high pain threshold. And if that isn't enough for you, um, the guy's also only has one leg. Wow. No kidding. Yeah, seriously. This guy is for real. He takes, you know, uh, being a bad, tough son of a gun to a whole new level. Kicking butt and taking names. Yeah, that's what this guy's about. Dang. And, I mean, how can you not respect a man? To take on the ultimate challenge, when so many other guys are grabbing the next latest greatest rangefinder and the Dude, fastest bow and the I, next
2: that really you know. just I don't I I'm speechless just thinking about this man Oh
0: man yeah this guy's like, the real deal
2: Like I'm out there thinking Oh you know my poor ankle that I've broken on my skateboard a couple times as a kid and this right. and that and this guy's m- missing a leg and he's going to go elk hunting and we know what that
0: uh, I mean, he's doing a backcountry hunt too this it, isn't some road hunt this is going to be he's going in and 10, uh, 12 been, miles a day yeah he's uh, been networking with me pretty extensively and you know uh, i was more than happy to share him all my insights and uh, tips and secrets and uh so we're we're going to stay in touch during this elk season and see how things are going and he's pretty fired up he's killed some elk with uh, modern archery um, oh, and he's taking a trad bow. and he's going recurve. Oh man! Yeah, he's actually out at, from Washington, but now he's based in Rhode Island. So uh, logistics—he's got you know—he's he, not—he just can't run out there in the weekend, you know, and and, and scout and so forth. So.
2: Uh, I'd love to cover a story. We might have to—we have to get him him hooked up with me. Uh, we'll see after how it goes this fall. We'll yeah. see
0: how he you know, yeah. talks cheap. Let's—I yeah. let, want to see the man. Let's make it happen. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, and that's what you and I are all about, you know, and that's why we have so much fun. Um, we've got this this goal in mind of taking a, uh, well, I don't know. I think I'm probably shoot the first legal bull this year that comes by. Um, but uh, the preparation, it's the, w uh, uh, where can I improve? What do I need to do differently? Um, we were talking about elk behavior and how, yeah, sure, the elk numbers are down, but you know what? There hasn't been much for the last three years getting taken. So what's going on in the woods? What are the elk, what are the elk doing? And, you know, the elk, believe it or not, you know, it's – the elk have adapted. Yeah, they're kicking butt and taking names now. The sure. elk have definitely modified their game. They have. And if you and I aren't willing to humble ourselves and ask better questions – different questions and to approach this concept of trying to get stick bow close to a black antlered Roosevelt bull. uh, You're going to, you're going to eat tag soup. You know, you're going to be very frustrated over the next couple of years. Um, I know just in my own personal journal, looking at my notes, just, you know, my elk sightings are way down, you know, compared to what they were (laughs) last two thousand was my, least
2: yeah entertaining elk season of all time yeah I mean we got out for a one or two day hunt and yeah. I we got a bull bugle a couple times yeah. and that was the only bugle I heard all season and those were some of my better hunts um it was a tough. Huffs! I just could not put it together. I was always a day behind them. Um, and when I did catch up to them, uh, there wouldn't be a legal bull in the group. It was just not – and then the season ended, and, man, I was out there, and they were cranking off. And
0: No. And so that's why you, you know, are listening to guys like, you know – Paul Bedell. Madel. Paul Madell and Chris Rowe and, you know, Joel Turner's got some great stuff out there, and –
1: yeah, you, sure y- you
0: think, you know, you know, what can I c what could I have done differently? Or maybe the best question you could have asked is, say Chris. What could I, what should I have done differently and last
2: those, year? And those are the questions to be asking like I I go I've been just like all you elk hunters out there right now I've been hitting every podcast I've been watching the YouTube I've been watching just elk on the range acting like elk I've been watching guys hunting them and uh it's uh really going back to your memories going back to that bull uh that uh, down in my hole that I brought you in on and you called in for me and mm-hmm. and I missed like, what? where did I go wrong there? Uh, yeah, I missed him, but I should have shot at him way sooner. I should have met him part way. I shouldn't have allowed him to
0: come out of the jungle and
2: into the open timber. You should um, have stayed in your first
0: spot and not removed. You overthought the situation, and therefore it, you, know, you found yourself further away than you wanted to be on that, yeah, you know, that I, situation. So sometimes sticking with gut instinct and just relaxing. But learning from all those, you know, going back and, 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 uh,
2: it's easy to play the arm armchair quarterback, but you do, you need to think back and be like, what could I have done differently? What am I, what will I do differently? Because when it happens, you, you got to think right, like
0: you have to do it right now. Like -hmm. there is no um, waiting a few minutes. That's why I feel sorry for the young guys coming in right now, because I mean, you're going to hunt all season and they get one, one opportunity, one bugler. Yeah. yeah, Maybe. And if you don't have the you know the five ten years worth of experience of calling in you know dozens of bulls, you're gonna you know it's it's uh, gonna be tough to make that connect to put that yeah. tag on that animal if you don't have that Learning, type of calling experience.
2: That's where Paul Middell's just for me he's my fave. I mean he's the, my it? guy, and knowing uh, the tools to bring. a a little young bull in um, because, you know, that's what you're dealing with Mm -hmm. Um, um, or knowing that it's the end of August and um, he's not, uh, he knows that there's nothing uh, in heat on the landscape. And so there's no reason to act like there is, you know, Um, get, get, uh, call to his curiosity instead of uh, to his um,
0: aggression. Sure. Um, Yeah. It's a great, you know, analytical perspective of taking a situation that yeah. a lesser inexperienced hunter would look at. Well, go, I'm guilty of going out there and throwing, opening up the toolbox and yep. emptying
2: it out, and like throwing a wrench in there. Oh, the wrench didn't work. Oh, throw the needle nose pliers. Oh, I got a hammer. A hammer usually can take care of everything, right? It, just, it really doesn't. It, no. just, it really a hammer does. It's fun to play with a hammer, but it just doesn't.
0: Right, and work when. Every time. Uh, you know, when do we need to be on the move? Yeah. Uh, when do I need to be doing long-range glassing? When do I need to be in a tree stand? You know, when is a wallow going to take effect? Did you know how to identify a wallow? One that's being active? One that's worth putting your time in? Well, and I'll tell you a big thing, guys, on the jungle will make a mistake is not bringing their glass
2: and not having quality uh, glass. That is um, so much fun. You can be sometimes glassing up something 50 yards it through the brush that you're thinking there's something there. And then you pull up the glass and you're like, it's a doe. Like, um, I could have spent the last 20 minutes here thinking I was on elk. It's just a doe. Um, not having the glass, it just helps you move through the woods uh, more efficiently. And then also you can glass, not clear cuts, I mean, you can glass just random little pockets and, and, and pick stuff up. So I think guys that are going into the jungle without glass are making a big, big mistake. Yeah, it's
0: I, I don't even want to talk about it. It's just it's so powerful. Yeah, it's, uh, it's silly not to. Yeah, yeah. After the podcast, we'll talk about some of my some of my glassing, but uh, it's uh, definitely not being utilized to its potential, especially during the blacktail hunt. it's yeah. just absolutely, um, man. It's what makes and breaks my hunts. It's what I would have. Gone home that day, not seeing anything. Instead, I saw something, you know, an animal that probably most guys would never have seen before. just because I understand you know, yeah. the power of it. Well, let's go back to
2: that first big bull. Let's, let's, tell, let's tell that story, and then, and then we'll work forward.
0: 2009, it was an awesome year. Hunting, man, I was bouncing back and forth between a Tioga unit, Indigo unit, sayusala unit um melrose unit there were it was it was a great time i had i uh, had a long list of just great great bulls i had a particular bull um that was just a monster and um he uh, i just didn't have you know if i knew some of the elk calling vocabulary the language like we do now um Probably would be a very different story but um that was an evening where i went into a mountain range i knew of a couple good bulls had been in there came up empty and man it was just the perfect evening the sun's going down and i looked uh i didn't have uh very good optics but i did have optics and i knew enough to know that if they're not uh if i'm not using them then they're not paying the rent and so uh, I glassed a clear cut on another mountain range, and I could see barely one speck, and it was an elk. And uh, I knew enough to know that, regard even if it was a cow, you know, this is like the last week of September, and rut's full bore. And I had just called in the previous week a raghorn 5.4 times missed a chip shot out of it i just had this brand new custom recurve and i was all excited hadn't killed a bull in a few years and i thought well it's not really the bull i want to take but shoot it's been a fun hunt he's let me call him in multiple times and um i'd like to get some blood on this new new recurve and, uh, boy, um, I don't know what happened during the shot. Everything felt great. It, but uh, it was a clear miss. bull completely jumped the string. And uh, you got to love it when things work out in that case. Some hunters would call that the low point. To me, that was the icing on the cake. <sighs> you know what? Lord blessed me with a close encounter. Um, I did everything right uh even got some video of the bull earlier when he came in the first time raking an alder and then um uh fortunately the shot didn't work out because i'm still in the game i still got another week of hunt and then it was a couple evenings later i spotted that elk on another canyon and another mountain range uh the next morning i proceeded uh game plan was to go hike into that mountain uh look it over and uh Then get out of there uh, mid to late morning and then go after that big eight point um, that I had been after earlier that season. And um, hiked in there, stood right where I saw that elk. And it was kind of, even to this day, it's just like crazy how the sign just looked so old. You know, the ground was so hard and dry and that's how it is in September. But uh, I was like, man, I can't believe there's an elk just here you know, eight hours ago and, or 12 hours earlier. And, uh, I continued to make my way around the road system, hiking, uh, glassed into a basin, uh, just a beast of a black bear down in there, waddling around in the blackberries. And, uh, I did have a bear tag, uh, but I had just shot an absolute giant bear uh, a week before bow season opened up there. Um, in August, and super excited, Pope and Young black bear, finally. Uh, That was another uh, long dry spell. Uh, Went to trad and hadn't killed a bear. with trad gear? Like 14 years. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. But it all worked out. One shot kill. uh, Nice big 300-pound Pope and Young bear. And uh, so I knew I, I only had another, you know, few days of that week to hunt elk. So I proceeded out another logging road that had a new clear code in it. I thought, well, if anything, I could see a good looking blacktail out there. And uh, what you know, it, that's where the elk were at. And um, I, uh, when I saw him in the optics, I knew, you know, this is where I need to be. This is what I'm looking for. Um, I've killed some other nice bulls. Um, I had no idea how big this bull was, other than I knew he was, was going to go 300. I knew he was big. And, uh, just due to the logistics, he, I knew he was in a, in a low profile spot, you know, uh, nobody was going to be in there looking for elk during bow season. So, uh, it was a, just a great setup. He had about six cows, calf. There was a spike. I was able to, uh, circle around the other side of the, the, the canyon and drop in on the herd. The wind, the predominant wind was just steady in my favor. Uh, we had a, a, a mature clear cut that I was walking through on the high side, and then a brand new clear cut right on the edge of that that went straight down to the bottom of the canyon. That was just boy, it was steep, and uh, the cows were eating the new browse growing in that new clear cut. And I had a cow uh I ended up making my way right into the middle of the herd I had a cow right in front of me at 15 yards uh she was feeding along the edge of that mature clear cut so she was hidden and it kept me out of her sight with the prevailing wind in my face uh, i just sat down knelt down and relaxed got an arrow knocked up and uh, just kind of watched and waited for the events to unfold and the bull didn't show up right off the bat he uh um had gone over into a ravine where I couldn't see. and It was about a minute later when he walked out and it was like, yeah, this is what every elk hunter dreams of right here. Sun's coming up. Wind's in my face. I've got all the time in the world and uh, I'm just going to enjoy this moment. I've hunted hard all season long for this moment and uh, we'll see how this goes. And, I couldn't see behind me due to the uh, uh, Christmas trees around me, but I was 99% sure that spike was just behind me and below me in that new unit because that big bull uh, was really focused on something behind me, and he was uh, making his way towards me and uh, giving little chirps, comforting his cow, and... uh, when he hit the 12 yard mark, I figure it's now, now or never. And uh, I remember just relaxing and just one of my mantras when I shoot my, when I get ready to shoot is just let the bow do the work, and uh, just make sure I do my part, getting the full draw. And so uh, when he hit that 12 yard mark, it was uh, come to full draw, and uh, man, just executed a perfect shot. Uh, I knew he was going to be dead, just I had full penetration, and he bolted, and nothing knew what was happening. I mean, everything, all my equipment is so dialed in, it's just whisper quiet, and he bolted underneath me, came past me, and stopped about 30 yards behind me, if that, uh, quartering away, and I thought, well, man, if he's going to give me another shot opportunity, I'm going to do it. And, room. Uh, Boy, I tell you, um, again, I just, you know, you, and I'll confess, I mean, it was not—it was hard not to getting uh, uh, rattled. You know, my, my thing is, is you don't get excited until after the shot. You know, no buck fever, no bull fever is allowed. Beef cow. You know, it's just, exactly. It's I got to, I'm just going to, it's just an old beef cow I'm going to shoot and put in the freezer. And that helps me stay focused and stays relaxed, I think. Uh, clearly and rationally, so because uh, this is a serious responsibility when you're going to release an arrow at an animal, and that is, you know, that's really missing. In uh, I guess it's just too easy to just draw back and just let the arrow fly, and uh, that's how you that's how you wound animals. And since I've taken on that philosophy, uh, my success rate has just. Uh, it's just been astronomical. I can't even believe the night and day difference between that. And I, I laced that bull with another perfect shot. Literally the bull was crisscrossed with arrows through his chest cavity. You know, we're talking, you know, he expired so quickly. It's not even funny. The, The animal experienced no pain. And, um, it was just, a surreal moment. It had been a pretty dramatic summer. I've been working on the coast like crazy as an electrician and just lots of things going on in life. And, you know, everybody's real busy with family and so forth. And and I remember saying to myself before season started, you know, a bull elk with a 320-inch class elk rack. It just is so far-fetched and unrealistic. I mean, it's just... I mean, I know they're out there and hunters take them from time to time, but I know in my own personal hunting career, it has just been uh, an unattainable bull. And I brought the bull home. Excellent eating animal. 331 pounds of edible meat in the the freezer. Um, Tremendous animal. um, And... I remember putting the tape measure to them and scoring them out, and just being in awe. I think I think I must add the numbers five times because I couldn't believe that they went, you know, three twenty and seven eighths uh, gross, and uh, netted three hundred eight. And it's like you got to be kidding me! I did this on public land on a general hunt, and uh, that's when things really got exciting. Uh, Pope and Young had just started that new traditional record book, and. Um, I was incredibly fortunate to uh, work with the local newspaper and do a full feature article in our local paper. And um, and uh, I strategically mentioned how you know, Pope and Young has come out with this new record book and just a wonderful, wonderful platform uh, to not so much for my own personal identity. I could care less if people saw me or knew me, but to promote traditional archery and to promote the concept that there is a traditional record book. And, um, uh, it, it was a wonderful experience, uh, with all the compliments and, uh, nice remarks from people, um, uh, over the whole year. It was, uh, a lot of fun and, uh, meant a lot to me, meant a lot, not so much for my own personal identity again, but, uh, promote the animal a lot of roosevelt enthusiastic hunters out there and uh the field photo was you know it's, it's a good sharp classy field photo and ah um i'm hoping uh i'm hoping having a repeat this summer sure probably going to take the first good decent bull that comes by but uh got a couple good record book bulls out there i know of and hopefully they cooperate and show themselves here this bow season and and uh, i'll know how to uh apply some of these uh uh, tactics that we've been learning and, and so
2: so do you think he
0: turned the corner for you i mean uh Mm-mm. you were already no nah, it was the first seven by six i took that made the turning point that was a 294 bull that took me two years to get is that the
2: one where you're in the um in the classic army jacket shirt
0: t-shirt t-shirt yeah Yeah, the classic yeah yeah Yeah, that's a great bull um uh military fatigue long sleeve cotton t-shirt yeah yeah Yeah, that's a great one that was uh yeah that was definitely the turning point there because the previous year i missed that bull three times and with traditional archery gear and i knew everything boiled down to me bull did everything according to textbook uh, it was completely all my fault, and I knew you I'd missed him it. three times, and then
2: turned around and got him the following season. Yeah, I got him the following season. Oh my Heart gosh, hard shot him.
0: Hard oh. shot him.
2: Redemption
0: bull. It really was, and um, it was a lot of fun. It was just Dad and I both had just finished up our hunting vacations. He had missed a nice five point in that same canyon. Told me about it. Actually we both missed nice five points that morning. I missed a decent five. And then he missed a five. And um that's something I've always wanted to see have happen. Me and my dad both tag double, out. yeah, yeah I get a double on Roosevelt yeah. Bulls. But um I thought I'd slip into that canyon and check it out. And um yeah, I was up high glass the herd and um it was about four minutes later, he came out of the reprod and I went, oh yeah, yeah. And I just picked up my first video camera, palm recorder, and this is like back when, you know, you had high eight cassettes. It was, you know, high tech then, but now it's stone age material now. And um, I knew that um, everything worked out. Again, prevailing wind was coming up the canyon, which was kind of odd because that canyon is terrible for swirling winds. And uh, we got in on the herd, we had him at 60 yards, where it was me, the bull, cows, which <laughs> that rarely happens, as you know. And I got about two minutes of good video of him. I thought, well, what the hey, I might as well try and you know, put the stock on this bull. So I set the camera down and poked down the old logging road, and I uh, just kept my bow up, held my bow up in front of my face real tight, knocked up, ready to go, hugged hug the, the brush next to the, the old cat trail, and just made my way down and every time he looked away i would make a my take a step or two because he was you know he's just watching his cow and browsing in there and it was pretty cool at one point he had a big uh, maple tree uh, had a limb hanging over the trail and uh, i remember him arcing his head up high and taking his rack Oh, raising a yeah. rack up yeah. and just stretching his neck out, stretching his neck up into that tree and snapping off about eight feet of tree limb and eating the leaves oh. because of he that. could. He <laughs> was just so huge. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a 900 plus pound bull and you know, great big 290 plus rack. Um, and just enjoying being with this elusive animal and being up close. And then finally, at one point, he turned and stuck his head into the brush and was browsing. And it was—I uh, knew that was my shot. And uh, at the time, you know, up until that time, I've been working with Target Panic. Uh, I did not have a system that I use routinely when I get ready to take a shot. And that day, I did. I went right through the mantra. It's oh just my a gosh. beef cow. I'm just gonna let the bow do the job, and I'm gonna do my part at coming to come into full draw, anchoring, and letting the bow do its job. And when I drop the string and watch that, that was with the old double X752216 game getter shafts. Oh man. Talk about a wimpy, noodly, wobbly arrow. We are we are literally two weeks
2: from both season opening in Oregon. I can't believe it. It's and like, I am in my living room with my good buddy Chris Tifton, and he has got me so fired up right now. I do don't think I'm going to go to sleep tonight, Chris. We're going to have to ride our mountain bikes to the yeah, point wear ourselves of, out.
0: Wear ourselves out, man. So it's just the privilege and the opportunity, and you know the viewers out there that are out of state that uh, or live in areas that you know this opportunity is available to you here in Oregon. And I don't know how much longer it's going to last, but boy. Um, well, I, I, the, hope, uh, I, I think that we will be the last standing
2: because roosevelts it's not the ideal, beautiful ponderosa pine uh right. rolling grass hills elk country that, that people love so much well this it's is... so
0: promoted and easy to film the rockies you yeah. know the the high desert elk yeah. hunting type of thing so this... let's talk
2: let's talk about that because you've done a little bit of uh, of that i mean you're a coastal boy and you've cut your teeth uh, hunting uh, jungle elk but uh, you you make your way over to the east side a little bit um for the people who are listening um what's what's your perspective on the difference um uh uh, of the subspecies to to the American elk and the Roosevelt elk?
0: Well, first of all, the environment. It's so humid on the coast. We're hunting at 1,500 feet. Yeah. The oxygen's thick. Yeah. When you go chase elk at 6,000 feet, it's thin. Yes. It's arid. Yeah. It's a dry hot. Uh,
2: and I think that's why the habitat is... Uh, utilized uh, uh, on such a large landscape. V-
0: v- well, everybody's got so many more access to it, and it's you know, people live in that environment. You know, from Washington to Arizona, right. you know, from Oregon. But I, but I mean, they elk have Colorado. food, water, and
2: cover in the jungle, where they don't have to go five miles to bedding or whatever. Like,
0: yeah, the routine is going to be different, and it, yeah, it's nothing for a rocky with the large uh, open spans. Um, to, you know, go 5, 10 miles. Yeah, nomadic. A very much nomadic, even 20 miles. 20 yeah. miles is nothing for a Rocky, you know, living up in the high Cascades to yeah. the high Rockies. Uh, So uh, for our elk here too, it's the peace of mind knowing that uh, I can count on this bull. You know, I'm, I might have bumped him or if I did see him, I know that he's going to be somewhere nearby. And that can be, that can be, me and the guys, we get really, that's probably one of our more frustrating talks because we'll be watching a particular bull we want to hunt all week, all week. And then the following week, we can't not find hide or hair or bugle from this animal. And you're pulling your hair out going, you know, where did this 300-inch bull go? And... The likelihood he's probably not very far, and when I say not far, I'm thinking you know quarter mile. But uh, do you think do you think that they exhibit
2: behaviors similar to blacktails and whitetails where they're in their core area and the the estrus is coming uh, um, upon them and it's time to maybe go out of their core area and do a walkabout uh, outside of their area um, to to do it, do inventory. I mean, do you think that's a behavior that you see or? No.
0: Well, you're definitely hitting a uh, that's upper level elk talk there I yeah. don't know if that's legal to talk about on the podcast because one thing and when the, when the bulls start getting up there in age um, especially in high pressured hunting areas survival is their number one uh, priority right and gosh I've seen some bulls really pull the rug out from underneath me because they don't they've
2: learned not to make those um eager horny mistakes uh, that they did <laughs> in their younger days
0: yeah and it's even more so now that my hit list of bulls i want to hunt and take is getting so much smaller whereas before i mean i just can't even believe how many bulls i would walk away from in a season back in the 90s and 2000s and now i don't get to do that if I find a five points. Because there was an abundance of mature bulls. Oh, there's just so many mature
2: bulls. And like every group had one and now it's Oh yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh the habitat there, I mean, there were so many canyons out there that had just the old two track trail down there and you were never going to drive it. Whereas now virtually every canyon's got a gravel road in it and it's tough. And now with the technology, everybody else. Everybody else is also looking for those types of canyons. But, uh, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, elk adapting. Bulls are adapting uh, or they die. And uh, the dumb ones hit the dirt first. And typically the bull that makes it to six is one smart animal. And he's probably real call shy. Probably, well, he has to be uh, incredibly elusive. Yeah, I've noticed some of these mature bulls, basically hooking out one or
2: two cows and rolling with them. That's all they do. And then when he's done with them, go roll, go pick up another one. He doesn't need a group to to maintain. No. No,
0: not at all. And so uh, Hunter's going to have to put on his A game. He's going to have to develop uh, a higher IQ, uh, more woodsmanship skills. And uh, my big theme this year is endurance. I'm working on my stamina. I need to be able to spend time in these canyons yeah and i'm looking for you know the kind of canyons that uh, are not easy to get to and 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 it's easy to do like in the beginning when you're excited
2: you know like you can do it with with heart but after the first week and the second week i mean you you, like you say you you really got to have some rigidity about yourself You
0: have to have a high pain threshold yeah high pain threshold you have to be patient and you have to pace yourself. You do. You have to know that the fourth quarter is the is the game winning quarter. I get five quarters this year. And you get five. I'm gonna get four, <laughs> and uh,
2: I hope I get four. I've well, got, we'll see what happens. Well, I, I that, might. I have that extension, uh, Eastern Oregon
0: traditional only. Yeah, I'm pretty only, excited huh? about a, it that. It gives for me a tr- it's a trad fifth quarter. Yeah, yeah, it, trad only. Totally, it's a five quarter game for you, yeah. buddy. And uh, I'm excited for you. I'm. I'm uh, Really rooting for you, and look, I'm hoping to uh, hear some good stories out of that. But then again, uh, I also hope you get a, a big old 250 hey. Roosevelt in hey, front I, of you too. The and I won't be passing on a on
2: a on a nice uh, Roosevelt bull, and then I'll just go over and and uh, call for my friends over there.
0: There you go. So, yeah, I'm the uh, stamina and uh, just uh, the patience factor for me. Just knowing, especially after the last couple of years, uh, it's kind of re-evaluating the animal behavior. Yep. And, uh, you know, logging has substantially uh, increased over the last six years. And we're seeing tons of clear cuts out there. Yeah, the
2: blacktails are really benefiting from it. The Blacktails, yes. Grocery stores everywhere now. Um, Food plots everywhere. And we've got a season that has rolled forward. Um, We've got a season that rolled forward. So that gives us an extra six days on the... the, calendar not an extra six days but a six days forward a week roll forward so yeah
0: season's going to start a little
2: uh later in the season uh, and uh, and push us to 27th of september
0: instead of the 21st or something so yeah yeah, somewhere in there so and then uh you know we're seeing some interesting game movement already taking place here this summer so we're just um, gonna kind of knock on wood we don't have
2: anything raging as far as fires that I know of in Oregon right now?
0: Uh, no, Oregon's pretty quiet. Washington's got a couple going on. Northern California's got a couple going on. So, uh, if anything, I'm more interested in watching the weather. Yeah. Are we going to get hit with some rainstorms here in
2: 2020? Are we going to, uh, avoid east winds during both season? I hope so.
0: Yeah. what's going to happen during different moon phases this year? Yeah. And, um, just, uh, how timber companies react to the the dry we're going to have a couple 100 degree heat days here it wouldn't Ro- break my heart Roseburg to get rain this week. opening week of well that's just it i mean with early fall taking place this it's year, cold i know i've got a flannel or a hoodie on yeah. right now for the podcast for the flannel and i mean it's like, cold it's cold in the house i'm
2: thinking i need to start a fire yeah and it's um
0: it's august folks yeah it's a, it's a bluebird uh mid august so uh i'm going to be I'm going to be um, – I think I'm going to definitely be uh, burning some boot leather this summer until the last two weeks. Unless I find something right off the bat that I feel that has consistent, heavy elk travel, I am going to be um, – because the elk, the actual calling part of it, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just <laughs> – I've. I'm experiencing almost as as much negative response to it as I am positive response to it. And when you're hunting such a small given number of target animals, um, leaning towards the side of being quiet, I'd rather be quiet than disturb the mountain with maybe elk vocalizations that would put the elk on alert.
2: I agree to a certain extent. I think that um, for me, I'm I'm really going to be in more of a, using these calls as um, a really understanding what the mood and tempo is in the woods at the moment. Where am I at? Evaluating where am I at in the rut? You know, the 20 seconds, the fall equinox, like knowing where I'm at that day and being more sparing using those calls with with uh, asking the right question
0: with my calls. There you go. Yeah. Asking the right question with my calls, and then uh, listening. Yeah, uh, something that you and I both need to work on. We both had bulls last year talking to well, us. That, I, I'm going need... to was for the other guy. Heard, it happened to be standing in the right location that heard it. The other guy wouldn't have known at all. Oh uh, yeah, terrible. Um, it is terrible. Walk and, away from and... a bugling bull. That's worst. That, I'm going to uh, need hearing aids. So, at least one. <laughs> yeah, just bring one of your young girls. That's good. Got good hearing still. That's yeah, right. That's <laughs> that'd be a good idea to pack one of them around just for their ears. <laughs> that's right. But uh, no, this is a lot of fun. got a lot of things looking forward to. Uh, I mean, gosh. Is there any tactics that you uh, have been thinking in your head that you're wanting to put together or try something? uh, Well, this whole concept, uh, just relaxing, uh, identifying uh, core elk areas and finding a a place to put a stand. And uh, and it's going to help me uh, save myself, pace myself, uh... Why, you know, it goes back to asking questions, you know, why would I go into a canyon, beat it up, chase the animals out when I know that if I sat here for five days, sooner or later the elk are going to come by and I always have a fresh place to hunt guaranteed every single time. Rather than going there, you know, I got other canyons I'll beat up and, and, and uh, pressure the elk, but in my you know high level uh areas uh i'm trying to be more methodical and save them and then if nothing happens then i've got them for the last week to that go is up. that
2: I, i'm thinking along the same exact lines that instead of going into my best spots right out the gate and letting them i mean i might slip in there to see what kind of signs in there but I'm, sure. I'm not going to announce myself on the landscape to them. I, I'm going to spread myself out more thin, and um, when when I do show up into those places, um, in my mind, anyways, um, mm-hmm. uh, they're, I'm going to be a force to to be reckoned with. They're not going to. I'm going to hit them with uh, with uh, you know I'm the stranger in the area. They they don't have no idea.
0: Yeah, especially when the winds aren't ideal. Yeah. Um, I mean, these animals are, uh, they know the difference. Yeah. When the loggers are up, they're working. And then all of a sudden, all H-E double toothpicks breaks out. And yep. half the county's in there running around screaming from landing. 7,000 toilet Tacomas running around with people tube hanging Elk calls, <laughs> calling, you know, so... Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to use my head a little more, and then when, you know, fourth quarter, I'll know who, what, and where, and what's going on, and I'll I feel like I'll make a more educated guess as to when to, uh, if the stand concept isn't providing, and I know I've got, you know, five days left prime rut, uh, I, I I can justify, uh, going in there and. Uh, you know, using all my tricks and tactics as far as... I, 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 I
2: think them. I'm also going to uh, go over to uh, one of these northern units, you know where I'm talking, and uh, putting on my, um, my backpacking equipment that I would usually go uh, reserve for eastern Oregon wilderness hunting and just drop into one of these big, nasty old-growth canyons for a night just to be in there. I, well,
0: absolutely. I mean, that's why we train, we eat healthy, we're lean and train so that you know that's not maybe our standby routine but it's definitely on our repertoire yeah. of things to maximize our efforts out there yeah. you know especially if you've got you know i got you know, might take two weeks off for I a mean, season i got I mean, a lot of time to go the enjoy. rubs we've
2: seen in this country are like man i mean i don't need a dinosaur but it sure would be cool to run into one
0: well, that's just it, and that's where you know you and I've hunted enough, taken enough big game. Yeah, we're we, uh, we want that adventure, yeah. that story, that close experience, yeah. that once in a lifetime animal. That uh, the only way we're going to see or know that animal exists is if we don't get away from the road or have that extra energy yeah. in us to go into one more canyon. And you, you can give the secret on every podcast out,
2: and. In- it still takes a certain kind of person to do it. Like, like you just get off that road. You go up to some of this country I'm talking about and you look off the road and you think, is that possible? Um, but it is. And that's, that's the best way to get away from uh, the crowds. It is, in some of this flatter country, it's going in seven, eight, nine, ten miles. But here, you can go in one mile. You just gotta go down a cliff. Um, you got to go through impenetrable brush and, and you can uh, leave some folks behind but even them knowing knowing that it's, it's hard to make yourself do it when you look at the country that
0: uh, well that's the big thing I've learned this year uh, being home uh, I've had to learn a lot of new country and by doing that and uh, this new career being a timber cruiser I'm finding that um, uh, there are little utopias out there yes that There'll be no sign in the top. There'll be no sign on top. Yeah, no There'll be no top. sign on top of the mountain. Yeah, none. But for whatever reason, the, there's a habitat in, in the bottom yep. or on a, you know, on a south-facing mountain mm-hmm.
2: or it's a side pocket of habitat from maybe some private that they spend most of their time
0: in. Exactly. And we're with the yep. new timber uh, uh logging going on. Yep. One side of the mountain now is getting logged that has it not everything. been logged in years. Hasn't been ideal habitat. And that's and, th- that's a
2: black town Roosevelt. That's what we're always dealing with. Like, the, the guys hunting these big wilderness areas, it's the same country all the time. Here on the coast, we're always like, oh, this cut evolving. just changed this. And and, and changed, that timber that was green, uh, lush tree to the ground is now starting to, branches are dying. It's maturing. Sterile. Yeah, it's ground becoming sterile. sterile ground. and And it's always changing and evolving. And, um, with the timber companies selling permits and leases and there's, uh, uh, there's so many moving parts to the coastal hunting game to the West coast. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't have said it any better than that. And
0: that's one of the things I like about it is fire say fire season changes everything all the time, right? You can have a great spot for five years and make videos on it and, t-shirts and hats and all that and then the sixth year it goes dead yeah stays dead for a long time until something changes in the ecosystem there and the environment and uh or or you could be looking at a piece of ground that you cut your teeth on
2: and that timber company sold it to another company and the management changes and there's no access
0: that's really getting to be more and more prolific here in oregon unfortunately and uh yeah uh, it's sad. You can just dream about going in there, and that's it. Yeah, you can just talk about yeah. When I went in there, and you know, talk about the uh, experiences you had with big game in there back in the day. And unfortunately, that's getting to be more and more for a lot of us old timers that grew up out here uh, hunting, hunting the West Coast uh, back in the heyday. So I, I know I'm having to drive further. Um, uh, the elk that I used to have in my backyard just uh, are not there. And so, um, I'm, uh, ha- having a positive attitude and not being afraid to drive. You know, uh, we got some guys, you know, from up North that come into Oregon and they are not afraid to drive. These guys are, they got the whole coast. Uh, they do. The angry And Spike guys. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's necessary, yeah. uh, but it works for them and, if anything, the listener listening to this podcast probably just find your own niche. Find your own niche. I like that. Finding your niche that you like, and if it's yeah, driving around miles in a Suzuki Samurai, you know, more power to you. Uh, or I like I've got my staple my 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 meat and potato hunting spots, and. I know, I trust them, and uh, I like uh, figuring it out and going in there. Expanding them. And just being patient and waiting for those elk to uh, make their roundabout, and I'll be there waiting for them. And um, that's how I've taken some good bulls. That's how I've been finding big bulls especially with the numbers down so low. But when these bulls disappear, I'll be forced to start, you know, I'll have to go find some, some new country that's holding some big bulls in there. So. Uh, and if you
2: guys are out uh, in the woods, no, you know, make sure you've got a bear tag, a lion tag. If, if wolf tags man. are available to you in whatever state you're hunting, have these predator tags, help these elk out and uh, be- bear is good for you bear
0: meat is awesome it is so good it is, it is so, so delicious good. i want to tell the viewers about my once in a lifetime game camera experience do it yeah boy uh speaking of predators and this predator uh density uh, i set some game cameras up in the bottom of a canyon um, it's a new area i hadn't ever been in there and i was kind of curious as to see what was going on in there this spring Uh, There is a nice little group of cows in there. Uh, They had calves and uh, was got a number of animals, a lot of bear in there. Uh, I got several mountain lions also, along with a few blacktails. And one particular uh, game camera scene is the cows are feeding in front of the game camera. And then all of a sudden the cows come alert and... I have the camera turns on at the exact perfect moment it's daytime footage the cow behind the camera is barking the herd comes galloping behind the cow heading up the logging road where the game camera is pointed and at that point uh, there's about five elk calves and at that point at the perfect location this big male tom lion explodes out of the bracken fern and the sword fern. And it chases this herd of elk down the logging road trying to get one of the elk calves. And just as the lion is closing in on the herd, you see a big cow elk coming in behind, chasing after the lion. It is spectacular. It's Got audio, it's daytime, it's uh, clear video. Yeah, it's awesome footage. It, it was truly a, a spectacular game camera footage. But just goes to show you, I mean, there's three miles, James, of this canyon. And the fact that this lion happened to be chased attacked that herd at this, I mean, I only got about a 30-yard shot of the road yeah. with the game camera. That everything turned it was just so divine, it was just a yeah, blessing, so cool, but uh to follow up with that, I checked the game camera a month later, and those five calves are down to one calf now. just too many too many lions and uh that and that's I've got continual footage of just the lion working up and down back and forth that logging road down it there his way, yeah, I mean yeah. uh uh they're an opportunist and, yeah. um, uh, they have a large appetite. And when you've got, you know, several lions in, you know, they're just in this particular area, there's a very low deer density area. Uh, they're going to eat anything and everything. I wish they'd eat more than boomers out there, but, um, you know, uh, the milk calves are a s- super helpless animal. And, uh, you know, in that first video, um, uh, you know that um, cow uh, saved that calves by coming up from behind and chasing that lion down. But well, tell uh, us, uh, tell us. Uh, I know you have
2: a story to share about uh, why you should have these tags in your pocket
0: while you're out hunting elk. Well, it's just uh, you know, right now our bear population is it's so good, it's so it's so unbelievable. Uh, it's not uncommon when I talk to the rifle deer hunters that you know the bear hunting is better than the rifle deer hunting. Yeah. You're more likely to see a shooter bear than you are a legal black buck, although now we just opened it up for spikes. But um, some of the bears we've been taking have just been absolutely off the charts, excellent flavor oh, and man. texture. And the nutrition in bear meat, when you look at the nutrition level yeah. on a bear, I mean... Yeah, yeah, it's it's just you don't need to look any further. Yeah, and we can get three of them a year here in Oregon. You can get you can get three, you can get three big ones yeah. a year, and they're definitely out there. And that's where I love the long range glassing, the spot and stalk. Uh, I do enough tree stand hunting. It just feels good to be up on a mountain peak yep. and having them big. I call them the big guns. I have both 10s and 20 power binoculars and it is just nice to sit there, watch the sun either come up or go down. And if I see a target animal, you know, I got, I I got my hunt planned. And, um, but, uh, you know, obviously just from the, uh, story I just told you about with the lion, um, you just, do you have another lion story that you can share? Oh yeah, I, and, and you know now that you brought that up, I'm thinking about it. Um, you know when I did that uh, Sled Springs Bull Elk tag here, uh, eighteen. Was yeah, it? wilderness hunt. Yeah, yeah. Um, little mountain bike hunt I did behind the gate, yep. and um, I had already seen just tons of lion tracks in that unit. I seen about a two hundred pounder over there. I'll bet you did. There's some big cats in that country, yeah. and a lot of them. And boy, wouldn't you know it, I. Uh, had a long straight stretch down this logging road. And so I slowed the bike down and stopped it and lifted the optics up. And I go, well, I'll be, I'll be a son of a There's a lion in the road down there. So I threw the bike in the grass and watched it walk into the trees and grabbed the old longbow off the old backpack and strung it up and popped a diaphragm in and, and um, hauled foot down there and got down to where that lion had been at, and uh boy, I tell you, uh I love that calf call, and I gave three of the most heartbreaking calf calls you ever heard about brought a tear to my eye, <laughs> <laughs> and uh everybody tells you you won't see a lion come in, and I just kind of had that in mind, you know it's just you're you're going to be looking hard, and um a lot of deer in that country, surprisingly yeah white tail a lot of white tail, few meal deer yeah. and um Hadn't it been a couple minutes, and I uh, tippy-toed across the road and stooped up on a little tractor and made a little embankment there of dirt, and I got up there, and I'll be a son of a gun. I, uh, there's a dead doe right there. No wonder there's a lion in here. And I could see the hindquarter of it, you know. And just it's, it's got knee-high, little brush in there, and grass, and... I'm looking at it going, well, where are the ears on this deer? You know, this is you know, white tailed deer have ears, you know? And I am just burning holes through the grass. And it's at that moment I see the white chin of that. It's the lion laying there at like 12 yards. So that's not a dead deer. It is not a dead deer. <laughs> it is the hind quarter of the lion. Oh, but the tail was in behind the grass. I couldn't see the tail and i see one eyeball looking up around through the grass and the little weeds i got you know this it was a small male uh you know 80 plus pound lion laying there at 12 yards looking up at me sneaking in on me cuz i made them you know calf sounds and i go and i have just been on a roll with lions for the last several years i've now i got tons of lions on game camera but this was going to be my third shot with traditional archery gear at a lion. My third one in the last you know, few years. I've I mean, I'm on one. a roll. I've missed one with a compound and one with a longbow. Yeah, well, uh, I missed the other two with uh, stick and string. And it's like, this one's coming home. Because my, one of my dreams, one of my goals is to take uh, all, I think it was at 10, Oregon has 10 big game animals. Uh, b- white whitetail, Columbia, whitetail, black. Well, tail. I go whitetail, blacktail, mule deer, Rocky Roosevelt, antelope, um, black bear, mountain lion. Bighorn sheep. Bighorn sheep and no. goat. Yeah. I'd like to get all 10. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, lion's one of them. Yeah. You know, you could throw in turkey and coyote if yeah. you want Which to, and I think are worthwhile too. That puts it to 12. Which ones are you missing? The goat and Rocky Mountain now elk, yeah, Rocky Rocky Mountain goat, Rocky Mountain elk, yeah, those are the two I need. And uh, boy, again, I just uh, man, no heart pump was pumping with adrenaline, knowing I mean here this lion could just in a blink of an eye leap out of the grass, grab a hold of me, and rip me to shreds, you know. And uh, I mean, we've all you know. If you played with a house cat enough, I mean, them suckers can tear you apart. And uh, I uh, made a perfect shot on the lion. He went about 80 yards and rolled over. And it was just, it was just so exciting. You know, you're going to blood trail a lion you just shot. And, you know, you, you see it, you know, it actually, he didn't bleed well, their fur. is like a sponge. I mean, he was blood soaked hide and so virtually nothing for a trail to follow and you got grass and weeds and and the ground's so dry you're not going to follow a pad track at all and uh, i ended up having to do a bunch of uh, gritting once i got out there and then finally i found him tipped over and um uh beautiful young male and uh so i mean yeah if you take advantage of all the opportunities you're given out there as a hunter. Um, you just don't know. And the comments were awesome. I, mean, I rolled back in the Wallawa. I was camping in the town of Wallawa and people were just going off the charts. You got a lion and then you got it with a longbow. And it's just pretty cool talking to people and seeing their excitement. And, uh, and it's just uh, the novelty of it. You know, that's, and that's what I like about traditional archery. It's just like no two hunts are the same. Yeah, You know, I mean, you know, I got buddies that are, you know, they're killing their animals out there at, you know, two, three times the distance I am. And it's the same story, you know, I mean, okay, great. Yeah. So, that, you know, if you're happy with it, great. I'm not going to say one way or the other, but for me, I want the animal to put a fight up, you know, and when you're going out there with track gear, I mean, that, that dude's got some serious boxing gloves on and he can, he's going to work you over. And so it's just a lot of fun. It's a continual ongoing learning experience. Um, we got some awesome new gear. I know you got a brand new bow. You're chomping to get, uh, take out and get some blood on this fall. And, oh, yeah. Um, uh, and um, just the sights and sounds and smells and the camaraderie and just the whole family at TAO, uh, just awesome group of people. and um Newcomers coming in, new young generation. I'm yeah. so excited about the young guys Oregon's coming in. Got some awesome. We got some hot shots coming do. up in the in the we ranks do. in TAO. I love it. We do. Man, yeah, so there's some young blood. It is great. It is, and everybody's got their own. That's what I love about it too. It's like I was talking to I was talking to Alan Boyce the other day, and uh, we we're just talking about you know, he's such a humble guy. You know, I don't care if you shoot a Liberty Bell. That's what I'm shooting. I like it. Yeah. And everybody. You know there's so many different unique boyers out there with and each hunter's got his own unique flavor, you know, you know, I got friends that like this particular brander recurve or that brander recurve, and this guy likes you know this type of bow that you know I don't like it. it feels dead in my hand. I like a little snappier bow, so I use a more of a hybrid long bow and um and um. It's just a lot of fun, and man, our, our uh, the technology coming about and making new and improved calls. I mean, gosh, you can't uh, you can't hardly tell the difference of these callers out there with the new technology and calls that they've got uh, versus a wild the, the real animal out there. Yeah, um, and the confidence it gives a hunter. I mean, I'm. I'm, I'm pretty confident I'm gonna get a bear this fall. I mean, I've just from the amount of bear footage I've got this past spring on game camera. Not only do I think I'm gonna get a bear, I think I'm, I know I'm gonna get a bear. And now I'm thinking it's like there are some big boars out there. Man, I
2: really you, want to put a couple more bears in the freezer. We have one in the freezer now, but I sure would like to get a couple more.
0: Well, we both got our bear tags. We both yeah. know exactly, you know, um, that. You know, when the sun goes down, it's it's game on. And if we get some hot days, that's something too. Probably I ought to share with the listeners because this is kind of, well, um, it's kind special information. It is. But it's unorthodox
2: because a lot of guys, they I know where we're going. Um, um, the the heat drives them into their houses, and it drives Tipton into the Elkwoods.
0: It does, and I've just got the resume to prove it and it's those hot days guys you not, you don't want to be on the back patio drinking lemonade with the kids them hot hot days them hot days are definitely so one is the is, best is, for bear is is it in the afternoon or in the in the evening you know what it is can, it can be a late afternoon yeah. Early evening, it
2: can't. The heat just kept them down. They,
0: I think I'm my person. They're so miserable. Well, let's just talk about the bear for a second and digress from the elk. But I think it also applies to the elk. They're so miserable laying there on that hot ground that they actually feel just a little more comfort waddling around, getting that air circulation around their body and nibbling Are- that that. That's the reason why I'm seeing them. And there's
2: somewhere on that landscape that if it's 95 out, there's somewhere on that landscape that it's 85. Well, think about it. It's 80. Where do you you want to go
0: when it's hot? The creek
2: bottoms. Yeah. The marshes. Or those those big knobs up in the high timber that have that breeze rolling through them and there's no mosquitoes up there. I found in some hot days, I'm down at the bottom searching for the elk. And they're so insect-infested. And and I'm not finding them. I, I have a specific story where I'm down there, and I'm just pounding all day in the creek bottoms. I'm like, where are they at? The sign's here. They should be here. And in the dark, I'm hiking out to the truck, and here they come off this high knob headed down to the creek to get something to drink. They'd been up there, and I went ahead and went up there and checked it out. And sure
0: enough, they spent the whole afternoon up on a high knob when I thought they'd be in the creek bottom. So it's... Yeah, I mean, it's these little insights and having... You know, having a network of friends, like James and I, we're so fortunate to be friends. And we've got a number of other high caliber experienced woodsmen out there that understand the, the outdoors to learn a network from, you know. And that's kind of what these these podcasts are. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's an oral book of yep. uh, collected data yeah. from savvy old timers
2: yeah. that are passing it on. And you need to listen to these stories. Like Chris has told, I've heard Chris's stories. And I love re-listening to his stories because I'm always picking something up from him. And
0: it's not just yeah. Chris, all these guys. All these guys. Yeah, there's something to be learned and, and little nuggets. And it takes time. I mean, I've heard like some of these guys tell me the same boring elk story over and over again. And it's like, oh my gosh. Yes. You know what? I, there's something You're there. absolutely right. You know, such and such, the herd did. And, you know, on a particular given season, weather. And now I'm experiencing the same thing. And now all of a sudden... That, that story is actually has value. a value, yeah. valuable yeah. Uh, insight yeah. that I can apply to my repertoire as an yep. outdoorsman to make me more efficient, more effective at finding and closing in on these animals that I Absolutely. want to Absolutely. Well, so, let's, let's
2: leave the listeners with uh, one last nugget. Do you got something uh, that you can Boy, take? we just, man, we've talked about so many good things, and they're just... Um, uh, how about a new roosevelt hunter that's who we're gonna leave this nugget to uh he's an elk hunter already he's uh been out to colorado maybe let's say he's been to uh, idaho and uh he's killed a bull or two maybe a cow um you know and he's just really wanting to get out to oregon and, and try uh to stick one of those uh feathered shafts through a bull um, what do you, what kind of advice do you have for that guy? You got one, one piece and one nugget.
0: I'll give him two called Jody Smith Outfitters. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's a good
0: guy and he's got some good, good, good hunts offered. Um, uh, but yeah, Outfitter and B definitely. Uh, but, um, have a nice plan. Plan, make it a three year, uh, journey three year journey three season journey and take at least ten days so you can really put the
2: time in man I'll tell you what I think that you could not have given better advice I think that Time is everything, especially It takes the time. It takes the time. This country's so vast. You, you and can have the thick. gear, you can have the calls, you, you can, can be have in shape, shape and um you can know a little bit about some elk, but man, you got to the time is is the most valuable uh thing you can have in your pocket.
0: Right. And if a guy's coming out for a 5-day quickie and then, you know, he's going to come back, it's just it's you just it, think it, if you can away, find a way 10 days
2: seems to be uh, the magic, the magic number. number yeah 10 12 yeah because it seems like it takes 5 days to to get one with the woods and start understanding yep, it takes about 5 days even if you don't know anything you just start feeling like you're a part of it and then you you
0: need another 5 or 6 days to to maybe put something together exactly make put that strategy together yeah. and uh, you know if you've already killed an elk and i mean it, it, you can make this elk calling as scientific as you want it, and you can burn yourself out. Yeah. And I know that's the other thing: pace yourself. Don't yeah. burn yourself out. Relax. It, Have fun. Go out there. Make mistakes. Um, a lot of guys say spot a bull elk and want to lift up the old bugle tube, and, and I'll tell you how to buy that time. Don't
2: don't go buy a new bow or a new set of boots or a new backpack. If you can't afford an elk tag, mm-hmm. don't go, uh, don't spend your money on gear. If you don't eat up uh, your vacation, if it's going to eat up your vacation, uh, pay some extra bills. Tell your yeah. wife, like, Hey, um, I know this is a, a big commitment, but I'm going to need 12 days. Um, I'm going to, Pay for this. I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to send the family on this. Do whatever, whatever it takes. Get creative, but don't try to figure this out
0: at the end. Start talking about it in January yeah. with with your wife. You're going to your, like. You're going to like this one. I'd rather hunt in blue jeans for twelve fifteen days. Yeah, man. Than QU you pants for four. Yeah. That that's it. That's, right there. That's it. Right there.
2: Uh, uh, if it's a Samick Sage and and a and a set of blue jeans and a and a your work boots from work. That's better than um, having all the gear and having a three-day hunt. Exactly. That That's. Buy your time. I, these I, I guys, guys have guys got. like, I don't know how you get that time. And it's like, buy it. Yeah. You buy it with your boss. Buy it with your wife.
0: Set it up. Yeah. Get that time. Or if it works the other way, uh, like for me, I'd, I'd, uh, if I know my hunting schedule can be busy, I'll scout for 10 so that my five days of hunting yeah. are the highest level of hunting. Yeah. And my,
2: I mean, I'm honey doing it like crazy right now yeah, because got I've got a, I've got a ten a day mule deer hunt plan. Yeah, I'm gonna come home and grind Roosevelt's whenever I'm not working. And, and then I have got then I've two got daughters a, and a wife that got tags. Three daughters, uh, two, uh, 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 one daughter and a wife with tags. Okay, yeah, and so we've that's got a full
0: fall. Yeah, I mean, we've got,
2: got we've got rifle hunting in October, November, and December, and so yeah. and then I got bow hunts in there, and yeah, that's and so.
0: You just have to organize it. It's, it's all doable. You got to prioritize priorities. your priorities. Yeah. And you know, make sure you got your get out of jail card well paid in advance. For sure. Take that uh, special someone out and fill their love cup or whatever and uh, make sure you got that freedom to sneak out of the house and, and do, the, do a, a quality hunt. Well, Spend there it some is. Time the ma- ma- make the
2: time uh in the elk woods and uh you it'll work out it'll you, work out there's only so many there's only so many septembers in one man's life that's right and, and it'll uh, work out it, 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 being optimistic always knowing that today could be the day and i'll tell you what we're gonna drag chris back on in october to give us a little update on his elk season and we're gonna dive deep into the Ooh, the black deer that'll be a good one Alright, well, uh, good luck Thanks to you. Thanks so much, James. Yeah, good luck to you this fall, buddy. And, you uh, too. Looking forward to catching up soon.
1: Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. We appreciate all the support. Check out our Patreon page on TradQuest.com. We're on Instagram. Keep the wind in your face. Push through all the brush. Make sure you have a good setup. You call that big bowl. The podcast.
0: For what I've got is a week or so out there I've got long Longo's on the brain I'm an outdoor junkie Through and through Hunts my middle name